my life standing in front of people, like right now, speaking, and there was a time when it made me really nervous. Um, it doesn't anymore. It's been a while that, since I would stand up and speak to a room of people that I, um, I'm comfortable in that moment. But something that's never left is a kind of anxiety about the preparation process. Getting to this moment actually can be one that's a little more nerve-wracking. I uh, have this recurring dream that I am arriving at a church. It's usually not actually this room I see. It's, it's usually like some church somewhere that I'm, I don't think I've ever been to before. And I show up, first of all, late. The service has already started. I'm running in 10 minutes after the service started. Somewhere between the entrance to the building and the pulpit, I realize I forgot my notes. And then, <laughs> and then I get to the pulpit and I realize I'm partially clothed. So, <laughs> it's the epitome of the anxiety dream. Uh, you might have something, by the way, that didn't happen every week, but you know, every now and then I'll have this dream. That will plague me. And you probably have arenas of your life where there's just a, a, maybe a persistent sense of worry or inadequacy or uh, anxiety. And there's a spectrum of what that feels like. From the mild everyday varieties of I'm worried about this or that to something that might even be a clinical kind of anxiety. Our gospel reading today, Jesus speaks to this and he says, be anxious about nothing. Do not Worry, and he gives us reasons why we shouldn't, and then he gives us a few simple things that are like Jesus's prescription for us if we are feeling some of uh, some of those anxious feelings. I'm going to use anxiety and worry as we talk about today; those two words somewhat interchangeably. This is a complex kind of realm that we're we're getting into, but I'm going to use them somewhat interchangeably, interchangeably, because that's how we often use them in daily life. But I'm aware, of course, that there is a kind of clinical um, understanding of anxiety that can be quite intense and chronic. It can even make its way into panic attacks. And um, not everything in today's sermon will apply to every variety of experience that people have along the spectrum of everyday worries uh, to panic attacks. And uh, when it comes to a clinical understanding of anxiety, of course, I'm not a professional uh, but our scriptures speak to this, and I'm bringing our scriptures to this topic, and it's one of those topics that a lot of people are talking about now, a lot of conversation these days. You have seen it in different places. Uh, it's it reported in, in news and different statistics and the increase in uh, different kinds of mental health or mental illness issues. So if you do live, I want to say this to you, to us, Christchurch. If you live with a serious level of anxiety, I want to say that I'm really sorry for how that affects you and the ways it might affect your daily life, your joy in just showing up in places, your, uh, your joy in relationships perhaps or certain contexts. And in a room this size, statistically, many of you identify with this here right now today. My hope is that we're a community that can bring all of who we are that all of us can bring all of who we are to each other, that we are a community that can take appropriate risks talking to each other about who we are and different levels of vulnerability and let people know us and that we would be a community that doesn't stigmatize 
any kind of mental health challenge or mental illness. Sometimes just the word, a word, a word like anxiety can cause a kind of stigmatizing effect. And I want this to be a place where that doesn't happen. I want us to be able to talk about who we are and these kinds of things freely and openly without feeling like it might bring some prejudice or discrimination or that we might somehow be discredited or devalued because of what we're talking about. So let's begin with the passage today. Jesus begins by saying, do not give yourself over to worry. As some translations put it, be anxious for nothing, he says. Look at verse 25. It says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. So here's talking about the basic needs of life, food, drink, clothing. Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So first we've got basics he's talking about, this category of worry, food, drink, clothing. Now he's talking about death and aging. You can't prolong your life, he's saying, by worrying. Worrying is not going to add anything to your, add any days to your life. So death and aging he is addressing right there. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. And now he's talking about the future. So there's several categories he gives us, our basic fundamental human needs, all that is associated with death and aging, and then the future. Food and clothes, we might also expand and say that these are just kind of a sample, and he gives a few key words, but he's really referring here to just our basic needs. We might expand that into shelter or other kinds of basic needs. And death represents our concerns with what time does to the body. So when he says, you can't add a day, another day to your life, well, what does that mean, or why would we want to, or what is he talking about? What's the big deal there? Well, when we think about adding days to our body, when we start talking about death, we're talking about what time does to the body. And that can start not just in the twilight years of life. It can start even in young adulthood. It can start from what time does to perhaps our prime athleticism years. You know, there are athletes who hit their primes in their 20s, and by the time they're 30, they're on in decline. And there's, there's an aging process already at work. Or it might have to do with the reproductive system, desires regarding a family, and there's kind of a a time and aging element to how the reproductive system works and when there might be fears or concerns about wanting to extend time and what time is doing to the body, wanting to resist that. Or it might have to do with other physical effects that come with age, from wrinkles to rolls to creaks and hurts and bones and other kinds of more serious uh, effects to the body that come. It can affect memory what time does to the body. My mother has Alzheimer's and has for a decade, and I've watched what time has done to her body, to death itself. So when Jesus speaks about you cannot add another day by worrying to your, your life, he's addressing all these arenas in which we might experience 
a kind of worry or anxiety about what time is doing to our bodies. Another one is he says, don't worry about tomorrow, and that's a reference to the future. Don't worry about the future. The questions that, what, do you, what, are, the, what are the things where you might start a sentence with, what if, fill in the blank, such and such happens? What if he says or she does, what if that interview, what if all the what ifs and worries fill out that sentence, or how will I, how will I fill in the blank with your fears about how you might show up or not show up to a certain situation or deal with a, a circumstance or a problem, or what's going to happen when, these are all future-oriented tomorrow questions. Jesus is addressing all of this, and it's just a sample of the kind of things we worry about or that cause anxiety. Other common causes of anxiety are things like health problems, financial problems. I'm sure if I ask, I'm not going to, a show of hands, by the time I get to the list, most of the room would identify with something here. Health problems, financial problems, relational conflict and concerns, some kind of performance anxiety, like at work. Social anxiety, trauma-based triggers like sights or sounds or particular situations. And then there's a more generalized experience of anxiety that can come from a combination of, of nature and nurture, some biology, some heredity, and some environmental factors in one's life that can shape in one into having a more generalized sense of anxiety. Anxiety and worry also has a lot of symptoms in our lives. It can cause us, literally cause us, we use the phrase, causes us to lose sleep. But literally, anxiety causes the loss of sleep and can lead to insomnia. Difficulty with concentration, feeling on edge, feeling irritable, can cause us to go about our lives with a kind of fearfulness or decreasing joy in our moments. Things that should be happy or where we should feel glad or we should feel joy have a kind of flattening effect that anxiety can bring to it. And the more serious it gets, the more debilitating it can come. So this is, um, this is just kind of an overview. When Jesus talks, he gives some very concrete categories of things he's, he's saying are things that can cause anxiety, it might be helpful. Just let's look at, this is what the American Psychological Association says about anxiety. It says that anxiety is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, intrusive thoughts, avoidance of certain situations, physical changes, blood pressure, heart rate, sweating, future-oriented worry about a perceived threat. So you see how big this this whole topic can be. There's a man named Curtis Chang who um, was a pastor and he's an author. Uh, he now leads a podcast and does executive leadership coaching and organizational uh, coaching. And um, he's just come out with a book about anxiety and he shares his story. And I heard this story in a, a course that we are, we've had a little pilot group going here at Christ Church, a few people gathered to begin to ask the question, we're going to do more with this, but an initial group that's asking the question, how can we as a church become more of a, of a place that we're able to talk about mental health and mental illness, and how do we address that? So let me share with you a bit of this story. 
from Curtis Chang. He says this. He said, I realized that my own sense of calling as a pastor was outdated. And he moved from pastor to everything else I told you he's doing today. And that God was calling me to something new. In particular, a career in the social sector space from a secular perspective. I really am grateful for that crisis and for the dark night of the soul. I view it as part of God gently and sometimes forcefully pushing me into a new career. I would still call myself somebody who is very prone to anxiety. I'm much more aware of it now. I catch it earlier. And I have a better sense of practices that I can go to when I do catch it. But it's certainly an ongoing journey. I think if I have one message on anxiety and depression for Christians is that there is a deeper third way. This is really helpful. Deeper third way other than the two primary options that are so, offered, so often offered to us as a response. I would say that one of those options is that anxiety is a sin. It's a character flaw. We're supposed to pray it away. Have God just somehow whisk it away if we pray hard enough. The other model is to say that it's solely a mental health condition for secular mental health to treat alone. He's saying those are two extremes. He's he's saying that these are not true. These two positions are not true. There's a third way. The other model, I'm sorry, all of this, he's saying, has value and and should be done. The, The mental health prescriptions and treatments, all of this has value and should be done. But to reduce anxiety and depression to that realm of a secular mental health condition that our faith has nothing to speak to is also going to the other extreme. What I really want to invite Christians to do is think about something like anxiety as an opportunity for spiritual growth. This is the pivot. So he's saying when when anxiety comes, that, that can actually be a way that God is allowing us to step into a place of growth in our lives, a place of trust to go through that. Anxiety is a form of pain or suffering. And God doesn't promise to prevent suffering and pain in our lives. And he says the only way is to approach it when you hit it is to go through it. And on the other side, there's something that God brings about in us by going through it with him, that on the other side, that he is doing a redemptive work. So he says, what I really want to invite Christians to do is think about something like anxiety as an opportunity for spiritual growth. There's a way to go through anxiety in a way that allows God to actually take us deeper, not to make it go away, but to actually be a door for us to go through, for God to do a deeper work of formation in us. So Jesus gives some direction for how we can go through anxiety, which we'll come to in a minute. But first, when Jesus says, be anxious for nothing, do not worry, it's fair to ask Jesus, why not? (laughs) Why shouldn't I worry and be anxious? Because... Jesus says, God knows, God cares, and God will take care of you. He knows, he cares, and he will take care of you. He says this in our scripture reading today, verse 32, he knows, 
For the pagans run, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. Every one of us, individually and collective, he knows what we need. He also cares. Verse 29, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Will he not much more clothe you? In other words, he's saying, if God cares for the flowers, how much more does he care for you? God knows God cares. He also takes care of you. Because he cares for you, he is going to clothe you splendidly, more splendidly than these flowers of the field. So we could take God knows, God cares, and God will take care of us and translate that into some attributes of God. God knows, God cares, God will take care of us. Let's go to the next slide. And what we could say is God is wise. God is good. A God that cares is a good God. He will take care of us, that take care. Not just he cares as an emotion, but he will take care, action. He can bring into effect what he cares about. And that's his power. And this is the basis that Jesus gives us for trust. He says, you can place your trust in God because he is all of these things. And so if we put all this together, let's go to the next slide. This is basically a formula for the trustworthiness of God that Jesus says. He's wise, he's good, he's powerful, and therefore he's trustworthy. Now what's interesting is if you just take away one of these, God is not trustworthy. Here's an example. If God is wise and he's good, so he knows what you need, and he really cares about what you need, and he wants to give you what's needed, but he just can't. He's not powerful enough to actually bring it about. You can't trust him. Or, if he's powerful and he's good, but he's not wise, then he might bring about something with good intentions, but it's the wrong thing you need. You know what I'm saying? He's got a goodness of heart, he wants to do the right thing, and so he does something. But if he's not wise, it might not actually match what you really need. You take away any one of these, it takes all three of these for him to be trustworthy, and he is all three of these, Jesus says. So Jesus' alternative to anxiety and worry is riddled throughout this whole text, and it comes in the form of three Verbs. In this whole passage, there are three verbs that are in command form to us and to his disciples. Jesus says, see, look, and seek. And in those three words is Jesus' uh, prescription for us in walking with some of the things that we worry about. Look, see, seek. Practices that Jesus prescribes for his disciples. So let's begin with look. Look. At creation, he's saying, see how God cares for creation. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Look 
at the birds of the air. And then he says, see, verse 28, 29, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Look and see. Now the word translated look is more than a charge to use your eyeballs. The word in the Greek has a much richer kind of meaning than simply use your eyes to be able to see something. It means to look with sustained interest, to, to consider something, to look upon it and look into it. And the word translated here as see, it carries the idea of not only seeing, but also learning a lesson from. So see how the flowers of the field grow. When he says see there, it's kind of like we use the phrase sometimes watch and, watch and learn. <laughs> I'm going to do something. Watch and learn. And it's, it, the idea is see what I'm doing in a way that you are learning from it and taking it, taking it in. So look, consider, take it in upon yourself. See in a way that you are learning a lesson from it. So Jesus is talking here about a kind of contemplation of things, a meditation upon the truth that can be discerned in creation, a meditation upon the goodness of God that can be seen there, a contemplation of the beauty of his provision. He's saying meditate on these things, contemplate these things, not just use your eyeballs and see it, but look upon it, look into it, look through it, As you see it, learn from it. This is the call to look and see how God cares for creation by looking at creation itself. It's also interesting just to note on creation here and the way it works. Jesus works this into his discussions about anxiety. Anybody ever used um, maybe sleep sounds or apps that have some kind of meditation or some kind of video? And how often is it like rolling waves or wind or the images are leaves or creation in some way? Like the, all, all these things that are meant to calm us, these, that use any kind of sound or image, they are all drawing from creation. And it's, it's, it's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look to that and learn. Take it in, look into it and through it. This is very similar, this, this call where Jesus says, uh, look upon creation. Uh, very similar language then is used in verse 33 where he moves from creation to creator now. He says, not only look at creation, but now look at the creator Seek first his kingdom, verse 33, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Saying, I know you're worried about these other things, they're important things, but first things first, fix your eyes, your attention, your heart upon God's kingdom and everything good and just. When he says God's kingdom and his righteousness, that word righteous we've been talking about gets translated sometimes as righteousness, sometimes as justice. It combines both, the original word. And so everything that 
is kingdom in this world, everything that is just in this world, everything that is righteous in this world. He's saying, seek out those things. Run after my Father's kingdom. Run after everything good and just. Wherever you can find it, run after that, he's saying. And this will help you with the anxiety and the worry. These things that you're worried about will take care of themselves. Seek first this kingdom way, these kingdom ways. This is very similar, in fact, to Paul's instruction to the church in Philippi. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Meditate on those things. Contemplate those things. Look, see those things. One commentator summarizes Jesus' threefold instructions this way. Remember the threefold, seek, look, see, look, and seek. He says this, the three respective objects of these verbs show that healing and salvation, genuine liberation in the Christian sense, lie in our soul's radical conversion to God's creation, in our spirits, turning away from concern with self toward the contemplation of of the divine order, both in nature and in revelation. Take a long look at the birds of the sky. Become wise by imitating the wild lilies. Seek for the kingdom and God's justice and righteousness. Now we come to the final part of what Jesus is saying here about our worries or our anxiety, and he tells us to let go of these concerns. And the last thing he says here is, stay in the present. This is his last instruction for us in, with worry and anxiety. Stay in the present. Here's what he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? <laughs> Each day has enough to stay in today. Don't go to tomorrow. Stay in today. Stay here. Stay now. I was in a meeting recently on Zoom with people that uh, geographically scattered, and the leader asked us to introduce ourselves as these things often go, like the, your name, where you're from, that kind of stuff, or where you are. But it was really interesting. This leader, the way that the leader put it was, uh, he said, say your name and where your feet touch the ground. As that was such an interesting way. It suddenly made, it shifted something in me from the abstract to the concrete. Such a surprising way of asking where are you questions. You, Christchurch, are here right now, today. Right now, in fact, feel your feet touching the ground right now. Our thoughts often go back to something that happened earlier in the day or some, maybe lunch today, it's going forward, <laughs> or later in, in the week, or Christmas, or 2024, and our, our thoughts go forward and all of us kind of like follows in the trail of those concerns and those worries. Jesus says, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough enough trouble of its own. 
This means letting go of trying to control things we can't control and, and even loosening our grip on some things that we can control. <laughs> Just because we can control something doesn't mean we should have a tight grip of it. Letting go of what we can't control, loosening our grip on what we can, and there's great healing power in accepting this about ourselves, accepting each other, accepting the parts of ourselves that are anxious, and accepting each other in whatever forms anxiety might take or however severe it might be. Curtis Chang, who I was talking about earlier, talks about how acceptance is one of the most healing things we can offer each other. In our anxieties or any kind of mental health challenge. So here's what he says about this. He says, there's one highly effective intervention only you can deliver in a dosage more potent than any secular medical professional could deliver. You can provide acceptance. Radical, loving, compassionate acceptance. The Jesus touching the leper kind of acceptance. The acceptance that is expressed with Hugs, reassuring pats, sometimes just the kind of silent but loving physical presence of a parent that anxious children can feel in their bones. I want to close by praying through Jesus' words that says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Sometimes we, let's leave that quote up for just a second, sometimes we are like the children that are anxious And there's this silent but loving presence that is Jesus that can bring a kind of reassurance and his acceptance of us in whatever the moment is and our acceptance of those parts of us that we don't like. His acceptance, his silent presence, we can feel that in our bones and the calmness of him, his presence, the trustworthiness of his presence can bring about a different kind of state of mind and being for us. Let's pray. Jesus, you say that your yoke is easy, your burden is light, that you, you, Jesus, do not lay upon us so many these expectations that so often drive us into anxiety and worry. So we cast our cares upon you, And we thank you that when you come near, you're like that parent whose calm presence puts our frightened childlike state, puts us at at ease. Help us to rest. Help us to trust. Help us to consider your creation and you the creator, to meditate and contemplate on creator and creation and thereby be healed. Your name we pray. Amen. Please stand. And together